Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Transfix Take podcast, where we are performance driven. Now, today we have a very special guest joining us on the podcast. Meet Aya Bende Amadi, who is our principal economist. She joined the company in January after working for eight years in the U.S. Department of the Treasury. Welcome, Aya. Hi, Jenny. It's really good to be here with you. Um, I'm excited to dive into our conversation. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm joined here with, of course, Justin Mays, who is our freight expert as well. And he's going to be joining us in the conversation. But I, uh, I'd love it if you could give our listeners kind of the scoop on what your role here entails as principal economist. That sounds good. Um, so I wear a lot of different hats. I'm focused on kind of um, the details of our business when it comes to how we predict what um, pricing trends and where win rates are going to be for different kinds of um, shipments. And then I also am focused on looking out into where there's opportunities for us to provide better data-driven insights, analytics that will help us um, do better pricing for our shippers and also do better matching of loads for our carriers. So um, a lot of different aspects of the business there. And then the other thing I bring is just, you know, taking a look at the economy and how that's going to affect um, where we see pricing and trends going longer term. Awesome. So I'm curious to know how, what are the comparisons? Because coming from the U.S. Department of Treasury to Transfix feels like almost an, an unwarranted move, right? Like how, how does that happen? So what took you, what brought you here? What was so interesting about this industry? And then also, are there comparisons that we can talk about that, you know, make these two industries a little similar? Yeah. So my last um, three years or so at the U.S. Department of Treasury, I was focused on um, the debt market for U.S. Treasuries. So that's basically a 20-something um, now trillion dollar market where the U.S. funds um, the, the budget that Congress passes and all of the stuff that you see in the news. So my office's job was to figure out how to raise all that money during COVID. We had to come up with $4 trillion really quickly and do it in a way that didn't affect markets. Um, so the key thing here for Transfix is that that's a market that went from being very um, phone-driven, relationship-driven um, over like the last 15 years to being a lot more electronically-driven, where algorithms um, and things are matching buyers and sellers of securities US, for U.S. debt. Um, and that shift has been um, pretty smooth, but also like rocky at points. And a lot of my work was focused on building measures to help decision makers at Treasury make um, calls about where um, pricing is going to be, where to issue debt in different aspects of the market, different tenors of the market. You know, like when COVID hit, should we be issuing more one month or two month debt or more 30 year debt? Um, these are these are really big questions. And the way that it translates to our work at Transfix is that it allows us to think about um, as our market becomes a lot more intermediated through algorithms and, and, and the benefit of algorithms being basically that they can sort of read or talk to a lot more people's um, requests on the carrier side and shipper side than any one person could sit down and have in terms of phone calls. So as the market goes through this change, um, what are the opportunities for us? What are the 
the metrics we need to look at to study where um, things are healthy, where there's opportunities to make things more healthy, and to really bring that insight to our shippers and our carriers, um, as well as our own business. So you're really looking at the industry holistically, right? Whereas opposed to one side, I think, and I think that's a great perspective to have, right? Because we often, especially on the podcast, we talk a lot about the market shifts and the swings that continuously happen throughout the year. And over the past couple of months, I would say, Maze, you've really been keeping a, a focus, right? And a lock on how spot and contract has shifted. So we, we started this year coming off of the holiday season, I would say with the spot market very much in the carrier's favor and then somewhere closer to produce season and into the summer of freight, we're seeing that flip on its head. So now it's all about contract and repricing and so forth, kind of moving away from the carrier's favor. And Aya and Maze, I wonder what are the trends that you're seeing that may have flipped that over? And is there, you know, is there one particular factor that stands out to either of you or are there multiple? And let's talk about that. I'll go ahead and say that I think one factor um, that's kind of coming online right now is that we are starting to see little signs of, you know, demand um, from consumers settling down. And so that means um, there's kind of less going on in the shipping space. I think you've talked on the podcast before about things that are happening overseas with supply chain and shipping being limited out of China. That's actually something that I would expect to see reverse um, maybe over the summer unless, you know, something unexpected happens. Um, but we're also seeing, you know, anecdotally, we are seeing situations where contracts are pricing a lot lower than they did um, in January. So I know um, a few weeks ago, um, maybe there was discussion or Harvard Business Review um, talked about some reports that, you know, while spot prices have really softened, contract hasn't, we're, we are actually starting anecdotally in some cases to see it hit in, in contracts as well. Yeah, and I would agree 100% with that. Uh, one of the big things that, that happened back at the beginning of the year, which made markets so much tighter and, you know, January and February was shippers pulling forward inventory as they battled for two years, trying to keep shelves, you know, fully supplied. And now there is the fears of, you know, possible recession and inflation. Um, the fact that freight was being priced higher through contract, which led to better acceptance of contract freight, which kind of cuts off the funnel of, of spot freight going out to the market. Yeah. And cooling down spot rates, it definitely is going to change in the coming future. You're seeing it already. A lot of contracts are starting to be repriced as the gap between contract and spot line hauls become larger. As contract rate continues to be accepted and, and tender compliance continues to be at higher levels than we've seen in the last two years, the length of haul really changes and the efficiency mm -hmm. of a carrier changes. Carriers are able to plan better for themselves along with shippers. And what we've really seen over the last, I want to say 30 to 45 days is the shift in length of haul. Yeah. Volumes have been tender, uh, have been increasing over the last, I want to say 10, 15 days. And it's primarily in the, the city to short hauls versus what we saw throughout COVID where long hauls and cross country runs were extremely high due to the demand shippers had to expedite freight 
throughout the country battling the port congestions and all the different bottlenecks they faced. And there have been signs recently, you know, with the whole transition of bringing imports to the East Coast um, that shippers got very used to over the last year or so. Mm-hmm. And now you could say that they potentially are doing it in fear of the negotiations that are happening out on the West Coast ports. Yep. We are starting to actually see congestion kind of builds in East Coast, especially in the New York, New Jersey port to where there's more container ships right now waiting berth than there's been throughout the entirety of COVID. And the records being set on golf and East Coast ports continue to hit new ones every single month as imports continue to build up in these ports. So do we feel, because, you know, that's really what we've been talking about a lot recently is the port congestions, the possible port congestions. And then as we look to contract negotiations that should go live or that we should get an update on July 1st, does this mean, and I know I've been asking this a lot, but does this mean that we could see a part two of the congestions that we saw in November, December? And if so, do we feel like the industry is ready for that? I kind of like refer back to the director of the uh, LA and Long Beach ports. And yep. he recently you know, pointed out that there has been no fix to the bottlenecks at ports. You know, the fragmented empty containers and the displacement of empty containers along with chassis shortages and just the lack of throughput through efficiency mm-hmm. hasn't really changed. It's just, you know, those ports are receiving less imports out on the West Coast, which has given them that breather, but those imports are now being shifted to other ports that are starting to build up these bottlenecks. Mm -hmm. So if imports were to gain ground in the second half of the year, I I do think we could continue to see issues that affect, you know, the truckload market, especially if negotiations with the unions out on the West Coast go sour. Well, let's hope it doesn't. Because yeah. that could, I don't know if we're ready for that one, but, um, but I, do you have a, a different view on this one? I mean, I think that we're not over the hump yet, but it's also a little bit different than last year because we do have a situation now where, you know, the port directors have more direct line to um, the shipping companies that need to pick up the shipping containers that are not always being picked up due to slowdowns in Asia. Um, I think they're talking about starting to find those companies and or at least threaten fines. Um, the White House also, after kind of delaying getting involved last fall, um, kind of, you know, jumped past that that hump. And, um, you know, what I'm seeing kind of maybe, I think there's a new director for the ports for New York and New Jersey, and she's been saying that um, there's a lot better communication with, you know, um, these different entities that, that have control over the backlogs due to the containers and um, the, the, the shipping companies are starting to move them, you know, albeit slowly um, because of the threat of fines, because of the threat of the White House getting involved. So at least some of that, those um, connections or communications that were too slow in the fall are, I think, more set up at this point in time. But does that mean that, you know, 
all of these containers now have a home? Not necessarily. And we're also seeing discussions at different ports about potential expansion to recognize that there's really like a larger need for places to put containers at the moment. Um, the question is how long-term, you know, how much of that need is going to be long-term, is right. going to persist long-term. Um, in Oakland, the port is kind of um, in a bit of a battle with the Oakland A's over whether there's going to be a use of extra space for the A's new ballpark or for more container space for ships. So there's a lot of um, interested parties on all sides here. Yeah. And we're also going through a period of a lot of economic change. So I think a lot of um, companies and players are waiting to see what ends up happening and what level of um, what level of of inventories and container inventory they're going to need. So I would love to dive into it. Let's zoom out for a second because you just you you touched on it, right? The the markets um, for sure are, are facing a, a complete change, and I'd love to dive into the economics of just like what has changed. Where, where are we going through the rest of the year and what can we expect out of this second half? Yeah, so some of what we're seeing right now, um, really to even bring it back to kind of um, inventories and, and shipping is, you know, a lot of um, retailers, Walmart, Gap, um, Home Depot, that kind of, that kind of company, a lot of retailers have extra inventory compared to what they had a year ago. Um, 26% higher than last year for S&P firms that have a valuation of a billion dollars or higher. So normally economists would look at this and say, whenever we see, you know, this huge rise in inventory, we're going to expect um, prices to take a dip because companies need to get rid of this. Right. It's a little bit different this time. In some cases, we're seeing signs of that, but there's also a lot of situations where, for example, you'll see that like, you know, Macy's is reporting that instead of um, people spending money on leisure outfits and home goods, they're now shifting their spending to back to work clothes and special occasion clothes. So this really goes back to a point that I've been hitting on since COVID hit us um, back when I was at Treasury. When you would get this question of, is it a U-shaped recovery? Is it a V-shaped recovery? Is it a W-shaped recovery? And the real answer is that it's different for different segments of the economy. Just like we see different workers and different consumers living in different cities in different kinds of jobs in early days of the pandemic feeling a different kind of impact. Just like that, we're seeing different kinds of companies um, and different kinds of inventory shift. So, you know, there was also this expectation on the part of economists that um, as we got past COVID, we we're going to see a lot more spending on services, and that was going to drive down spending on consumer goods. What's actually happening is that we're seeing both of them go up. I think um, one of them went up by half a percent and one went up by just 1%. But it's a reflection of the fact that consumers like companies have gotten used to wanting to kind of stockpile a lot more given that there are shortages of different goods. And so you'll also see companies saying they're gonna hang on to some of their inventories and um, you know, use them for next year, that they are happy to have a larger stock of things given these supply chain issues we're seeing. I just wonder how, I mean, this is a silly question maybe, but how does that, for retailers that are focusing on clothing, 
how does that inventory like are, are the, are the, is that the exception to the rule because i cannot imagine that as a designer right they're designing something to wear in 2022 of the summer that is going to also be the same type of fashion that we're wearing next year i mean is that a silly question should we even be thinking about that i think that designers are thinking about it i think that you know retailers are thinking about it yeah, I mean, this is where, you know, marketing plays a role. There's absolutely going to be certain kinds of goods like clothing that mm. are going to go on a discount sale because it's maybe not what consumers are wanting right now. But then in other sectors, um, we'll see prices actually going up or demand being strong. And mm. so that's the point here is that basically in some sectors, and it's just going to change um, as, as we go through this kind of bumpy ride, we're going to see different things in different sectors. In some sectors, we'll see prices go up, we'll see demand stay strong. In others, we won't. But that doesn't mean that overall demand is coming down. Um, yeah. It's important to look at how much of it is shifting from one sector to another. Each of these shifts actually brings a lot of adjustment costs on the supply chain. And so every time we see a shift, if it's not a shift that the retailers or the supply chain um, is ready to handle, then we could see more backlogs for whatever good du jour um, is is seeing increased demand. Yeah. And then we can see prices slashed elsewhere. It's interesting because, you know, taking a step back on the sustainability route, because I think that's that's sort of where we're going, right? I asked um, our LinkedIn audience the other day whether or not they felt like sort of this recent pop-up of electric vehicles are going is going to be the thing that combats rising fuel costs for 2023 and beyond. And so our audience polled at 56% saying, yes, that is going to be the single thing that combats rising fuel costs. And then 40, 44% said, not a chance. So I'm curious to know where both of you stand on this. Is electric vehicles going to be the next wave that's going to change the face of trucking? And how do you think that that uh, that will play a role? So. Jenny, I, in my personal opinion, I, I don't think it's going to happen in 2023. Um, it, it definitely will sometime in, in the near future. Um, even people who talk about autonomous trucks and, you know, removing that driver or the hours of service for longer hauls, I think we're, we're well on our way there, but it, it's going to take quite a few years to finalize it. I, I don't know if electric vehicles themselves will control the, the fuel cost in the you know, next six months or year, just because the infrastructure, especially for, for trucks, doesn't exist just right way. I know Fair. Tesla and other automakers are currently going um, and, and, you know, going to Congress and asking for federal help on building out infrastructure. It's built out in, you know, cities like New York City, um, but in rural areas where these truck drivers live and then drive through, the infrastructure is still not currently there. Yeah. And it's going to take some time to get that infrastructure in place. Aya, what do you think? I'm with Justin on this. I think that it's coming. And certainly as we see fuel prices rise, that actually pushes a lot more investment into um, R&D and pilot studies of autonomous vehicles, which is a necessary thing for them to really be up and running at a larger scale. Um, of several years down the road, but there's a lot of regulatory um, changes. There's a lot of regulatory changes that need to happen before that can take place. And that just takes time. 
um, Washington and a whole regulatory network of 50 different states across the United States is a patchwork that, you know, doesn't change overnight, um, not to mention that there's still, you know, tweaks in the technology that need to be worked out as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, especially with a, a what is it, a, an 18 wheeler, 16 wheeler. I mean, I cannot imagine. First of all, I don't even know how long that would take to charge fully. And then what is the what how many miles do you get out of a charge? I mean, those are the types of things that I feel are going to be the deciding factors on whether or not a small owner operator decides to invest right in an, in an, uh, an EV and then an, an AV. But to your to both of your points, the infrastructure is going to take at least, I think, another I mean, I'd love to fast track it into five years, but I don't think it's, that's even close to how long it'll take to see um, these types of vehicles on the road. But um, we're coming up on the last few minutes. I would love to know from both of you, what are um, what are any trends that you are looking into for the next couple of months that seem to be kind of weighing and looming on the trucking industry, and um, and what can we do about them? What how can how can shippers and carriers stay ahead of of those trends? I don't know who wanted to go first. Aya, if you want to go. Um, so I'm looking at gas prices ahead of the summer. We are seeing more um, diesel processing capacity come online given the historically high prices in diesel. We're actually seeing gasoline refineries start to switch over to producing diesel. And so that's going to bring up the cost of gas, mm -hmm. but bring down the cost of diesel relative to what it would have been if we didn't see this shift. Of course, there's also a lot of other geopolitical factors at play. Um, I'm also paying attention to different inflation measures to get a sense of how much further the Fed is going to try to push to drive down inflation. Hmm. Of course, you know, I think there's pretty much a consensus across um, uh, across the industry uh, that, you know, inflation is a problem for a lot of consumers. The issue is how hard does the Fed need to press in order to bring inflation down and how much pain is that going to exact on other parts of the economy, which could potentially bring down um, demand for, for shipping. I think a lot of times economic changes take a lot longer to come about than the market expects. But then when they happen, they happen really quickly. Yeah. And everyone's like, wait a minute, where was my chance to kind of pull out and change my strategy? So I think that when it comes to inflation, um, the risk is that if we see demand kind of drop very suddenly and precipitously, that could be something that hurts the industry. So paying attention to um, just these different inflation indicators. We could have a conversation about some of the inflation indicators. Um, I think is a good way to stay ahead of that. One place to look is just, you know, like what's happening with um, pallet demand, which is, is still going strong. So we're not there yet. Um, the economy's had, you know, just a lot of stimulus and a lot of a long period of really low rates that is you know, even though the stock market might have its ups and turns, we're not at the point yet that we're going to, um, we're going to see, I think a recession hit tomorrow, but I do think that it's coming. And so I'm trying to keep my eyes on when, um, when, when that's going to be. You know, it's funny because 
you're the first person to that I've heard say that, where I feel like everyone else, you look at, at sort of the influencers space, right, on LinkedIn, and everyone's like, no, there's no recession coming. Let's, it's not going to happen. It's almost like bad, uh, what do you call it, like juju. If you say it out loud, it's going to happen. So I love that you forecasted that because I think it, it's true, right? We are seeing a lot of real volatility in the market that continue, it's continuous. It's the one thing that is continuous this year. And that has to mean something. Um, Mays, I'll throw it to you to close this out on any trends that you're, you're spotlighting and want us to stay ahead of. Yeah. I mean, one thing I'm, I'm really looking at is it's sort of similar. It's, it's, you know, consumer spending on goods because um, that makes up a lot of the, the truckload market. At the same time, the gap that is between contract line halls and spot line halls and the reason I'm looking at that is because the last two to three months, we've seen a lot of carrier authority revocations, um, which is a sense that there is either capacity being forced out of the market due to, you know, not making enough revenue to make up for their expenses, or they could be transitioning back to the larger carriers after we saw that kind of migration of drivers going to run on their own or for smaller fleets as rates were really good for a long period of time. Um, and to see how far shippers push down contract rates in the next few months, I think that's a that's going to be big going into the holiday season. Is how fast or how far down shippers will be able to push down contract rates, because that will ultimately, you know, it's a repetitive cycle to where contract rates go up, spot rates go down, and then the vice versa as capacity and supply switch places and by taking these whiplash reactions out on you know, the carrier or the shipper side, we create this very volatile market. It seems like our cycle is only closing in in smaller periods of time. And that's what I feel like we could potentially see if shippers get extremely aggressive on the repricing. But the demand has to be there as well. The demand is still there. Uh, we, you know, we still have tons of, of truckload volume out in the market. It's, it's not far off of where we were actually last year. It's just it's being taken through contract carriers versus the spot market. It's just the fact that smaller carriers survive off the spot market. And what happens to those carriers if they do go away? What does that mean in, in terms of capacity through the industry? I think we'll find out in the next couple of months. And hopefully we don't have too much of a mass exit. But I know that's something that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. Um, we are at time. Thank you so much, Aya, for joining us on today's show. We look forward to having you back to have another conversation, hopefully about inflation. And maybe we'll be in a little bit of a better place by then. We'll see. Uh, but thank you so much to both of you and to everyone out there. Drive safely. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of Transfix Inc. or any parent companies or affiliates or the companies with which the participants are affiliated and may have been previously disseminated by them. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are based upon information considered reliable, but neither Transfix Inc. nor its affiliates nor the companies with which the participants are affiliated warrant its completeness or accuracy and it should not be relied upon as such. All views and opinions are subject to change.